0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where me, your host, Shane Told, talks to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional rock band. As I record this, I am right now looking out into a very, very rainy street somewhere in Japan. I believe it's called Miyazaki, Japan, on the very southern tip Oh, man, we've had some horrible weather over here on this tour. Um, We're doing a Japanese tour with cold rain. Awesome, awesome Japanese band. Super nice guys. They're taking us out over here in Japan. But, man, I wish this weather would improve because we are just being pummeled with the rain on this trip. Anyways, enjoying the Japanese whiskey, the Japanese beer, the sushi. They got some great stuff over here. And Japan is just such a beautiful country with such amazing people and people are just so warm and friendly here and it's it's always refreshing to come over here we always have such a great time also a couple days ago we were in China our very first time in China Shanghai what a crazy city that I mean that city is wild and again it rained so hard that our show got rained out, and we didn't want to disappoint the kids, so I went out and I played four acoustic songs in the pouring rain. Uh, yeah, check, out, check it out on the Silverstein Facebook. I think there's a video of it, because it is just wild. But anyways, hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. Anyways, let's get to this week's episode. We have a bit of a different show today. I talked to my very good friend frontman and podcast host Mr. Ray Harkins. You might know him from his podcast 100 Words or Less which if you like my show you're gonna love his show. He has a very similar format to his show except he doesn't exclusively talk to lead singers. He talks to a lot of different people in the music industry focusing on independent music. Now, I first met Ray when I was about 17 or 18 years old. His band Taken rolled through Oakville, Ontario, where I grew up, and played a hall show. Now, I had never heard of Taken before they played this show, but they really changed the way that I thought about music. Up until that time, I'd never seen a band like that before. I'd never seen a band that was so technical, but had such cool guitar parts, but also had just front man that was just full of personality and and dynamics, but was trying to say something and had speeches between songs. And it really, really was a huge influence on my future musical upbringing. And if you haven't heard of Taken, don't worry about it because the band never got that big. They got very popular in Canada, and they're from Southern California, and they had some success there as well, but it really wasn't until after they broke up when people started realizing how influential the band truly was. Anyways, before we jump in, as always, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this. Please make sure you're subscribed, not just to my show, but also to Ray's show, 100 Words or Less. It's a great podcast. He's been doing this for like four years, so he is very, very, very good. And also if you want to get in touch with me as always, it's very simple. Email leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. We have an Instagram account, which we talk a little bit about in this episode. I'm gonna post some pictures up there after this. It is LeadSinger Syndrome. We have Twitter, which is at LeadSingerSyn, and also Snapchat, which is my personal one, Real Shane Told. Sorry about the douchey handle. And also if you want to support the show, I say this every week but it is important and it really does help out because a little goes a long way. If you buy anything on Amazon, amazon.com, all you got to do is use our affiliate link and whatever you buy on Amazon and believe me, they sell everything. I'm sure you know this. Use our affiliate link and we get 4% of whatever you buy and it costs you absolutely nothing. All you do is go to Leadsinger dot com slash Amazon. It takes you right to the Amazon homepage. You log in as normal and you won't even know what happened, but we will, and we will get four percent of whatever you buy. So if you spend a hundred bucks, $1, a thousand bucks, whatever, it doesn't matter. Even if you spend ten bucks, every little bit adds up. So thank you very much for checking it out. Once again, that is Leadsinger dot com slash Amazon. Anyways, hey, let's jump into it. My conversation with my good friend podcast host of 100 Words or Less and of course from the band Taken Ray Harkins you're 11 minutes late ray harkins this is not cool man
1: completely unacceptable this is uh this is not how i like to buy it be i like to be 15 minutes early at everything and oh, really? I'm, then i'm on time yeah, how does that I'm work pretty... out
0: when you call these these lead singers to do a podcast and and you call them 15 minutes early i'm sure they're they're very ready to go it's,
1: it's, you'd be actually surprised. There's only been, I think, one or two times that usually I just had Kevin Devine on and he uh, missed, it, 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 he has like a, a four month old kid. So I was like, I get it, dude. Like, you were probably at the park or something and you're like, oh shit, I got to do this stupid interview. Um, but, anyways, but yeah, yeah, for the most realist- part, though,
0: people don't flake on you too much.
1: I'm shocked that I'm getting yeah people are generally speaking like if the, and plus if they no show there's like a legit reason it's not just like you know oh i i simply forgot it's like oh no like i forgot because of this 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 or whatever and so like yeah i don't know do you get you get a lot of people flaking on you
0: uh not too bad i had one actually just was it 2 days ago pretty big name guest i don't want to throw him under the bus but uh <laughs> he yeah like one of probably one of the biggest guests and i was like You know, waiting and okay, I'll give him a call. He doesn't answer, text. And then, like, he's like, all right, sorry, man, give me like 10 minutes. And then, like, uh, an hour later or 45 minutes later, he's like, yeah, man, sorry, I just, I can't, I can't today. I'm like, all right. That's okay.
1: Yeah, talk to you later.
0: (laughs) You know, I I get it, and we're gonna reschedule, and it's gonna be fine. Um, And I I get it, like you know, he's on tour and stuff, so uh, it can be tough sometimes when you think you have a window, and then all of a sudden you just don't. So you know, it happens. But but yeah, I just I wanted to ask you that um, because obviously um, people know you now probably more, I'd say definitely more as a podcast host than they do as a lead singer of a band.
1: It that that is an absolute reality. You are defined by what you have done for people lately. You know, not so much, not so much what you have done, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. Um, so yeah it's it's funny when people and i'm sure people obviously you get a dual experience where the fact that you're on stage and people are recognizing you for that but it's just funny people coming up to me apropos of nothing at a show and being like oh man you're you're ray i love i love your podcast and it's like that's like you know one or two steps further granted of course i don't make any sort of like i'm not private online like people can see what i look like pretty easily but the fact they're doing that sort of research i'm like yo like thank you like that's even you're doing more work to get into something and to actually pay it forward and say thank you to me than you know obviously just going up to a person after the show and being like oh
0: dude sick show man so sick oh i love it well you know it's interesting though because doing what you do um and you've done it a long time how long is how long has hundred words or less been going for now
1: that that iteration that show has been going on for just over four years now i did Yeah, I did a different version of it prior to that for about a yeah, year, year and a half yeah, or so. I remember but it,
0: the first world problems with was, was that. Of course.
1: Yes, first world problems. <laughs> it was a. Uh, it was a first world problem because it became so difficult to, as you well know, uh, get people on the same page. And so once it felt like work to get me and my two friends on the yeah. same page with a guest, I was like, Oh, what the hell am I doing? This is so terrible. And then, yeah, then, right. then a hundred words or less was born.
0: You're booking three guests at once basically instead of just one. So I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah. back to my point about, you know, someone coming up to you and being like, Oh my God, you're Ray. Like the thing about podcasting that is, is similar in a way, but also different to being a lead singer is that, you know, people listen to your show week after week and they feel like they start to know you, you know what I mean? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking a lot of times you're talking about your job or your family or, you know, you you know, they start to feel like almost like they're your friend. So it's kind of a weird thing where I think people actually feel close to podcast hosts, maybe even more so than lead singers, or at least in a different way. So do you find that 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 happens, that people, you know, you start relationships with fans of your show through email or social media or or back and forth? And how how's that work for you?
1: Yeah, you're correct. I mean, the medium obviously lends itself to you having this very intimate, one-sided relationship with the person um, that obviously differs from what you have in the context of like you were saying, you know, you're, you're, you, you sing for a band and you have that really visceral uh, relationship with a person for, you know, 45 minutes to yeah. an hour, and then yeah. maybe five, maybe, maybe five minutes after the show, but sure. you know, you, you kind of don't speak to them afterwards, but people that obviously become regular listeners of a podcast, whether it's yours or mine or anyone else's, they just you know, they become so endeared not only to the medium, but obviously like you said, the host, because they are, you know, they feel like they're just in conversation and especially too the context in which most people are obviously listening to podcasts are, you know, when they're sometimes working, when they're driving, like these regular uh, activities that most people do throughout the day, they feel like you are a part of that, you know? So it's like they have this uh, real strong bond because of it. So, yeah, no, I I totally agree. And I think that it's a, that's why the medium is so incredible to begin with because people, in uh, the same way that you and I obviously listened to podcasts prior to us starting one and yeah. you got inspired by people because it's like you know I I always cite Mark Maron and his WTf podcast I mean yeah. he's' Influenced so many people in regards to the fact he's just like oh yeah I want to do this in my garage I'm gonna have these real intimate conversations with people and you know people have compared me to him in regards to you know independent music and I'm like well I'm for, first of all thank you for the compliment second of all I'm <laughs> ne- not nearly as negative as him but the point be- <laughs> the, the point being is the fact that uh, we saw this thing that could be harnessed in the context of what it is that we ultimately care about which isn't so much like you know show business and the entertainment industry but like yo know, independent music because. And I'm sure you find this as well. And I find so interesting where it's like so many uh, genres of music don't get respected, you know, whether it's like hardcore punk, whatever, you know, whatever label you want to put on it, these things don't get uh, the level of respect. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the shit that you're into when you're a kid. And it's like, right. there's so there's so much more value that's that's derived out of that. And that's why I think that obviously it's it, uh, without sounding too grandiose about it. It's like, you know, the work that you're doing, the work that I'm doing is hopefully providing a context for people to be like, Hey, these, these people that play in bands, like they're not just some dumb, dumb on stage. I mean, granted some are, of course, be, <laughs> of but course, that's like, yes. that's the human experience, but that's why it's important. And that's obviously, like you said, why people forge this intimate bond and are just like, Oh man, like I, <laughs> I love getting the emails of like, Hey, I'm a janitor in a middle school. And I listen to you from like, you know, 10 at night till two in the morning, as I'm like, you know buffing the floors. And I'm like, yo, I was like, that's incredible. Like the fact that I could connect you to independent music while you're doing this thing that is, you know, nowhere near connected to independent music is really valuable. And it's a, it's exciting thing to be a part of.
0: Absolutely. No, it's, it's interesting though. you, You say that, that a lot of these, these, you know, underground music and genres, they don't get respect. And, you know, you said the thing about, oh, it's something you listen to when you're a kid. I mean, a lot of the, bands that, you know, you interview uh, and, you know, I shouldn't say bands, uh, you know, people in the music industry, um, you know, musicians who, are, you know, you, 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 I interview lead singers, you interview a wider variety of people than I do. And when you talk to these people, a lot of them are people that had more of a connection with you in your youth. You know what yes. I mean? Like, you know, growing up as a hardcore kid in Southern California uh, or Las Vegas and, and, you know, that area of your life so a lot of times when you have these conversations you're talking oh remember this show you know in corona uh or at you know uh chain reaction or whatever like you start to it gets very nostalgic you know with these people and yep. in some ways you're almost kind of proving <laughs> some of these people's points in that like yeah this is something you did when you were a kid and now you're just in your 30s you're just kind of just extending this memory of it and and you know is that ever something you wrestle with and you're just like, am I just reminiscing here about this or is this something that is pushing you know, my life forward? Yeah,
1: no, I mean, you have to be... You have to be of two minds about it. You can't be mired in nostalgia while also being like, hey, uh, you know, we're trying to push this medium forward, whatever that may mean, as far as like respect and people, Um, because realistically, what I try to focus on, I mean, to your point, where most people that are obviously uh, influenced and involved in this culture are within our age range. You know, they're between the ages of 28 and, you know, whatever, late 30s, because this is when all that stuff started to happen. You know, we obviously had the bedrock of foundation that bands in the 80s have built and the early 90s. Yep. And then, you know, we came around in the mid to late 90s and kind of, you know, built off of that. So the fact that most of these people that are of that age are realistically, you know, like not as connected to this music and that's fine, but the ethics and the... Uh, you know, the, the, the things that they have learned from that time period yes. and then basically let it bleed over into the rest of their life. To me, that's the most kind of important context. You know, the nostalgia is fun because obviously like when you're trying to, and you know, well, you will know this very well when you're trying to obviously connect with a person who, you know, you kind of know, but not entirely like you've, you know, I've said many times like, oh, I've been in the same room as you, but we just have never met. Yeah. So like you, you immediately have to start off with that nostalgia to like, you know, realistically build credibility. You're like, yo, I'm not just some like name on a press list i'm like you know we've done this together you just we just haven't met yet so you kind of have you have to be that like oh that that show was so rad that you know we played like you don't remember my band we opened for you or whatever you know (laughs) but but more importantly is obviously once you get you know whatever 20 to 40 minutes into a conversation and you're seeing how these people you know if they're not involved in independent music anymore they've taken that that context and and delivered it to whatever it is they're doing, whether it's, you know, creating a different form of art or whether it's like, you know, creating other podcasts or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. But that's, to me, that's kind of what I focus on more so rather than just, you know, because you know, I, I'm not calling this person out, but like, you know, uh, Damien from Fucked Up does an amazing podcast called Turn yes, Out He's a Punk. Incredible. And, it, you know, yes. his, his show obviously differs from what you and I do because, you know, he is so focused on the details of this first seven inch that this person, you know, like he, he talks to a person for an hour and a half and barely gets through like, you know, their first seven inch or whatever. Um, So that, you know, to me, that's that's very focused and that's very interesting to people who are just wanting to that, you know, nostalgia trip or whatever. Um, Not to say their his show doesn't provide any other value besides that, Um, but I think it's like that's kind of what, you know, whatever differentiates the, you know, the the type of shows that honestly all three of us do because we kind of we kind of live in this, you know, this this world of like, well, we're we're not competing with one another because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like everyone just having their own creative expression. But, you know, what? what i kind of try to hold on to is the fact that like hey these pe this this scene that you may have looked at as a kid and been like oh that was cool and that was foundational some people have taken taken that and completely applied that to their lives even though they may not be doing it anymore right. in they might be a whatever. janitor
0: you know yeah. buffing a floor
1: you know totally but but you could still you could still have that independent mindedness
0: uh no i absolutely understand what you're saying but you know, in some ways, you you know, you and your life, like you're. How, how are you now, Ray? Right? You're in, you're almost. Are you in your mid to late thirties now?
1: Ah, uh, yes, I am. Thir- I will be thirty six in a couple weeks.
0: Thirty. Okay, so we yeah, we're almost the same age. You're a uh, you're in you're an eighty. I'm an eighty one. Um, exactly. You know, but you grow up. Like I'll never forget this. I was in the backyard. I was about. I was probably sixteen or seventeen years old, and you know, I was I did a couple bands and playing guitar and stuff and. My mom kind of knew me more as like listening to stuff like Black Sabbath or whatever. But, you know, when I was about 16 or or 15 or 16, that's kind of when I started to get into punk rock. And I remember I was listening to um, Everything Sucks by The Descendants in my backyard, Uh, you know, just kind of hanging out in the summer. And my mom was there and my mom was like, what is this? What is this music listening to? I'm like, oh, it's The Descendants, mom. It's like, was this? Is this punk rock? What is this? I'm like, right. yeah, it's punk rock. <laughs> and my mom was like, oh, well, what happened to like, uh, you know, Metallica and uh, uh, Megadeth? And you don't listen to that stuff anymore? I'm like, well, I mean, I do. But like, this is just like, this is just like means more to me. You know, I just mm-hmm. I have more of a connection with this this music. And she said, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, I can see you'll go, th- you'll go through this punk phase or whatever. And. The funny thing was, at the time, I think I kind of believed her. Sure. I kind of was like, yeah, maybe my mom is right. Maybe this is just like a punk, like a phase that I'm going to listen to this. And now, like, you know, tw- literally 20 years later, and the Descendants have put out one record, si- a new record and one <laughs> record since, um, you know, it's 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 funny how really she was wrong and how this has really shaped me. And, you know, talking about you, like, you know, you're still vegan, you're still straight edge, you know, right. you're still, you still, you still like embrace, you know, those days more than anyone I know.
1: Yeah, no, I, it's true. I mean, I, I definitely understand that uh, my journey is unique in that perspective because a lot of people obviously, you know, just don't stay involved like that and i get that and that more so is speaking to my personality rather than um you know some sort of like uh, oh i need to hold on to my past otherwise i don't even know who i am you know these are just things where it's like you know they feel baked into me like right. i you know, in the same way that you know you were listening to Descendants in the Backyard and you felt like you uncovered a, a part of yourself. It's the same way as like when I discovered you know vegetarianism and veganism. I was like, oh, I feel like that's me, but I just didn't know that that was me yet. And sure. same thing about same thing about straight edge and like those are the pe- those are the people who obviously carry that through, um, you know, to a much later part in life. Because I mean, I'm an adult. I don't need to call myself straight edge anymore. It's like <laughs> this is you know this is you don't have up when you go to work. I, I should. <laughs> I, I mean, I work from my house, so that'd be kind of silly. But uh, the point—the point being—is that I would, I, I feel like, and I, honestly, why I still call myself it and why I am still, you know, whatever proud to be, whatever, you know, 10 yard fight lyric you want to insert here, um, <laughs> is, is the fact that, uh, I feel like, you know, I try to be a good representation of what that actually means. Like, I'll never forget. It was like, yeah, gosh, it was like in, uh, I was going to, you know, a community college for some, you know, whatever, taking, you know, one class for three units or something like that. And it was like an interpersonal interpersonal communication Class, and it was one of those things where you know it was a very touchy feely class where you got up in front of the class and told about yourself and whatever. And I'll ever forget, you know, telling people that I was straight edge. And a lot of people, um, understandably so, had a very negative opinion of that and were just like, Oh, you're that guy, you're, you're the fun police, you're the guy who's going to be like, Oh, you're a terrible person and super judgy. And then once they got to know me, it was like, Okay, that isn't the case. So it's like, I feel like I try to represent a uh, tolerant side of what straight edge means. And so uh, I know that wasn't the original question you asked, but still just the the kind of through lines that I noticed where I, I feel like I want to give a good impression yes. of, you know, what being a vegan is or what being straight edge and like all these philosophical beliefs that are obviously very extreme. And many people would be like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, your life sounds terrible. Like you don't do any of these things. And it's like, well, no, it's actually pretty rad because I do all these other things and I find <laughs> joy in many other aspects of life. I just don't, you know, decide to, you know, have a glass of milk or whatever. It's
0: funny now though, I bet like if you go to, uh, you know, some social gathering with like your wife and it's like a bunch of people in the mid thirties that, that, you know, you don't know too well and they're say, Oh, you know, would you like a glass of wine or or something? And you go, Oh no, no, I don't, you know, I don't drink when you're in your mid thirties and you say don't drink, people assume that you have a problem (laughs) with with alcohol or drugs and they go, and then they're like judging you. (laughs) in totally. that way. <laughs> so totally. it's funny they're that you're like, no, 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 no. I, I never drank, you know, right. and, and try explaining that to, to what straight edge is to a bunch of people in their mid thirties that have never heard of it.
1: Oh dude. It's so, <laughs> it's so funny. Cause like the my day job now I work at a, a company that does podcast advertising and I could not be more far removed from everybody else as far as like their own journeys and where they've gone through in life. And like, you know, most of these people are coming from just kind of your a very stereotypical sort of corporate radio background. And so like I came in and they're like who is this weird dude that's been in a band that used to work at PETA and like it doesn't drink like who the fuck is this and it's so it's like but fortunately it's like once again once they got to know me it was just like oh like this dude's on the level he's not some like you know crazy extremist it's like he just has these these beliefs and but yeah you definitely run into the oh so how long you've been sober it's like well I really haven't done it done it ever and it's like oh so your parents are drop dead drunk so it's like no no I promise it's not like that (laughs) (laughs) there's got to be some kind of story here, Ray. Exactly. Totally. You haven't been locked away in some, uh, some, some institution because you uh, you know, you, you did black tar heroin when you were 14 years old. It's like, Oh man, that's not my story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's funny. Well, speaking of your story, um, I don't know if you've been on too many podcasts talking about, you know, your life and your, um, you know, your musical career and stuff, but I, I really, I am interested in it. And I know there's a lot of people that are, um, because your band taken, uh, despite being, I mean, I don't want to say unsuccessful, no, you but you were n- marginally successful in some circles. Um, right, <laughs> very influential, and well, thank um, you. a lot of bands. You know, I had I had uh, Brendan from Counterparts on the show last week, and you know, you guys are like his favorite band, and you know, I think I think I had a was wearing a Taken shirt in like a promo photo, which oh, is like dude, you do.
1: You don't even – that
0: that blew my
1: mind. Like I remember when it was, you know, Broken is Easily Fixed came out and like we were touring and, you know, it, obviously Victory Records had those promo discs everywhere. And I just remember being like, okay, these dudes are from Oakville. The singer's wearing a Taken shirt. I'm like, holy shit. Like this is so goddamn weird. I can't believe this. Anyways, yeah, continue. Well,
0: <laughs> I mean you guys were were a seriously big band around here, you know, in, in, yeah. in uh, southern Ontario. Um, it, was, it was crazy. And, and – I kind of want to get into this in a minute, but, like, it, it was really strange to me how you guys were so... You guys from Southern California. You were so big in Ontario, and we just all assumed you were just big everywhere. Uh, yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> totally, totally. Because, like, if
0: you're big in Southern... if you're from Southern California and you're big in Canada, well, that's, you know... You guys must have toured back and forth a few times and, and picked up some fans. So, um, that was always strange to me, how that, yeah. you know, how that happened. We had... Totally. We
1: had, I mean... Uh, we had our pockets. It would be one of those things where, I mean, like you said, like, I mean, it's very gracious of you to obviously back into the question without like insulting me. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I always describe it. It's like, you know, take We were never a big band. Like we never captured uh, people's imaginations from like a large sense of the term. We were either, it was very black or white with the people that got us. It's like people either got us and like, like I was, you know, like you, you said sort of, you know, well, you didn't say this worship the ground we walked on, but they just like really, 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 really got what we did. And it was like, you know, we definitely picked up kids who were just like, okay, you don't go to very many shows, but you go to Taken shows and holy shit you lose your mind. Um, and so we, we just found pockets and it's like, you know, we, we found pockets obviously in Southern California and we did well here. And then, you know, we did well, obviously in Canada, thanks to, you know, Chris Logan and a records, which was still the weirdest idea for me to be like, okay, 3000 miles away, the singer of chokeholds, putting out our records and like our first show in Oakville at the pine room, I was just like, mm-hmm why the fuck are there 300 people here granted we weren't headlining but it was still just like well i don't i don't get this dude it blows my mind and then yeah from there i think i mean obviously all the dudes and alexis joked around with me where it's just like
0: oh yeah like taken was the
1: biggest band in southern ontario that wasn't from southern ontario (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) it's not
0: it's not inaccurate it's you know (laughs) it's, it's very true and i remember i remember the first time i saw you guys play you know, you had your frosted tips or whatever. Uh, of course. <laughs> who didn't? And, yeah, I yeah, know. I remember meeting you at the merch table. I think I bought the the Finding Solace and Dissension. I think it was a CD. And I I, I want to say I got the crayons 7-inch. Seven seven but inch. I think I might have got that the next time you came through. But, sure, um, you know, I remember seeing you guys play. And, yeah, it was a decent crowd. But the amount of hype after that show. Like, you know, everybody was talking about Taken.
1: Oh, um, dude, it we and honestly we felt it it was one of those things where it was like you know in the same way that you know when obviously you're touring still where like you know certain shows are just going to be great you're like dude the norv is going to be good or whatever you know <laughs> yeah, like sure, sure. this is this is going to be a good show and like we always had those like you know five spots where it's like our show in new jersey is going to be awesome our show in hamilton ontario not not toronto proper like no. hamilton or oakville yes, yes. or any of those surrounding suburbs obviously we're going to be great so yeah we felt it we felt um i mean honestly so uh so overwhelmed every single show we played up there was definitely like it felt like a life or death thing where it was just like i don't know if we're going to be able to uh do better than this next time like i don't i just don't know like it was so overwhelming and especially i mean it bled up to you know quebec city and montreal like all the shows that we played up there it was just like they weren't as intense as what the you know the southern ontario shows were but it still was just like this doesn't make sense like you know we're embracing in like yeah three areas and it's like holy shit this is so unreal
0: yeah it's, it's very very strange um well getting back to a couple things i mean co- kind of a combination of you know your band life and what we were talking about earlier with you know growing up and stuff um how did you find yourself i mean it seems like from from what i know about you and and what um you know you've talked about on your podcast about yourself is that you come from a very very normal family definitely um, and you know you're, you know i know you your christian upbringing and your parents yep. were together growing up I mean, my parents were divorced when I was five. Oh, okay. Never Um, mind then. No, it's okay.
1: I I mean, it's something like my father died about six years ago. Five. Yeah. Six years ago. Um, he lived in Vegas. That's why I still have such a connection to Vegas. I moved out to Southern California. Yeah. I moved out to Southern California when I was about seven. Um, with my stepfather and mother, obviously in tow, no brothers or sisters. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Being an only child is the best thing of all time. Um, (laughs) I don't care if you have brothers or sisters, that's fine. It's cute. You may think think that that's a real nice bond you have. And obviously, Shane, that makes you attached to the city of Las Vegas. And that's cool. There you go. Um, yes. But yes, but uh, I loved being an only child. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had a very, you know, uh, middle class to upper middle class upbringing you know, my mom's a teacher. My stepdad is a veterinarian. Um, he would, you know, I didn't want for anything. I mean, partially just because I was the only one that they could pay attention to obviously. Um, but I definitely had your typical white suburb dude life, you know, just yes. as far as, uh, Oh, playing sports and, you know, going to, you know, a private Christian school. Religion wasn't a huge thing for my parents. So it wasn't like they were forcing it down my throat. They weren't going to church every Sunday. Uh, it was just one of those things that my mom, since she was a school teacher, she was so passionate about having small classes sizes. So she was like, yo, I want my kid in a, you know, 20 to 25 person class as opposed to a 40 or 45 person class. So that was why I did the Christian education for pretty much the entire time. Uh, well, once I graduated high school, I didn't, but, um, but yeah, but like you said, it's a very, you know, my, my story isn't, uh, tragic beyond the fact that, you know, my parents, I mean, my parents got divorced when I was five because my dad was fucking around. Um, and you know, that was something that really, if there was any struggle I had in my life, it was the fact that, uh, girls were always a, a quote unquote vice for me in regards to, I just didn't, uh, I didn't know how to handle them appropriately. I could get girls to like me, no problem, but I yeah. didn't know how to, uh, yeah. I, and it was not because I'm a smashingly good looking guy, but I have a, you know, I have a personality that I know I'm like, okay, I can be you know, charming or whatever you want to say. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so that would be the only sort of, uh, whatever, dark corner, uh, of my life in regards to that, that I could easily trace back to the fact that it's like, you know, when I was traveling out to Las Vegas to visit my father, um, you know, he, he went through three marriages and oh, wow. dated a ton. Yeah. Dated yeah. a ton of people. And, you know, this isn't healthy for me to like go out on dates, multiple dates with him the same day. We'd have like a lunch date and, oh, wow. you know, we go, mid- yeah. And then we would go to a dinner date and, you know, he would bring me along because obviously like he was taking care of me during that time. Um, So do you think that's something
0: that, that, you know, you say you struggled with it? Is that something you think you picked up from your dad at a young age that you maybe thought was sort of normal and then realized it wasn't, but still, you know, had it ingrained somehow?
1: yeah it was honestly it's a it's a it's a weird relationship i have because the um i respect and i i always have traditionally got along with women better than men because of primarily just because my mom was the rock for me you know she was the one like my stepdad he's a great dude and has done a lot of great things for me but he he wasn't really you know showering me with love or like teaching me how to shave and shit like that you know um but (laughs) but so i always got along better with women and then once i started to uh understand understand the concept of like, you know, girls and be like, Oh, like, Oh, oh, this is, this is how this kind of works. And, you know, I just had, I mean, I just had relationships at a very early age. It's like, you know, whatever, making out in fourth grade, like, you know, full on, like, you know, French kissing and everything. I'm like, I don't think this is really what people do at this age. Like maybe they wait till like, you know, (laughs) late elementary, junior high school. I just felt like I was advanced in that perspective. I I was
0: right there with you, man. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So
1: it just, yeah. So that was a, Like I said, it was. I knew that certain ways of treating girls may have been wrong, and it is. You know, I'm making it sound probably like a lot worse than it really is. It was just you know me being a dumb kid, being like, "Oh, I'll make out with this girl," and like, you know, I just won't talk to her anymore, and or I just didn't know how to handle myself because I was a child, you know. Um, (laughs) But anyways, that's that was. I could definitely draw a straight line for the way that I I quote unquote struggled with understanding relationships with females to my father and being like, Oh "Oh man, I wish I wish I had a little better backbone with that and understanding the fact that I, I uh, should be more responsible when when it comes to that stuff.
0: Yep. So you're a kid, Southern California, you said um, middle to middle upper class and how the fuck do you find punk rock Straight edge, vegan, hardcore, uh, all this stuff. How did that just come about in your life? There's got to be some kind of story
1: oh yeah absolutely uh yeah because obviously i don't i didn't have the luxury of older brothers or sisters or you know a cool cousin or anything like exactly that. yeah yeah so it was definitely through um you know i, I just started to experience it i mean fortunately living in southern california we have a great radio station in k-rock you know k-rock was a huge influence in regards to just like you know listening to the radio um you know either with my parents or um you know the person who took me to school in the mornings or whatever i just started to like okay like i, I get I get the fact that I like more sort of, you know, aggressive music, because music wasn't even a big part of my life with my parents. It's like my mom liked, f- you know, four or five things. She made me listen to, like, the Beatles, Bob Dylan, the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack, and it was like, that was what I knew the music to be. Right, And yeah. so then... As I started to develop and understand that there was more things for me to latch onto, uh, you know, I completely got swallowed by the alternative scene in the early '90s, as far as you know, Pearl Jam and you know, Candlebox and Soul Asylum and all that sure, stuff. yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but then I discovered uh, 120 minutes on MTV, which I know is a huge foundation for a lot of people getting into independent music that are around our age. Um, just because it was like they played the videos that obviously they couldn't play during primetime MTV. So, you know, hearing Rage Against the Machines killing in the name and watching that video and being like that. I mean, that that just cracked my head open because not only was it obviously really good and aggressive and kind of, you know, hit a hit a tone musically that I liked, but then it opened my eyes to the fact like, oh, there's a, like not everybody's stoked on the way things are like just <laughs> just the, the, the idea of status quo. Right. Was not it just because at that time, I mean, obviously, I'm a kid. I don't think about things in those terms. And I saw that and I was like, so there's a struggle. There's a struggle that people go through and I haven't been confronted with it because I'm a white suburb. Raised boy. And then I realized that like, there's a world that's much larger outside of me. And granted, this all didn't come within a matter of me watching one music video, but that basically kicked off my thought process. And sure. so then I just started to, um, you know, become more endeared to obviously like K-Rock and MTV and started to consume everything I could within the context of that, not knowing that there was like any sort of music scene or any of these bands were like touring. Like I got the idea that, you know, Rage Against Machine would, would play. And like, I saw them, I think in like 95 or 96, you know, when I was a little bit older and I could obviously like beg my mom for a ride to a show. But um, then it was, uh, it was in ju- like late junior high, freshman year of high school is when uh, I just started me and one of my best friends at the time, we just started to, um, you know, basically go like, k-rock had K uh, k-rock weenie roast which is like you know a huge radio show like every other spot in america has yeah. it yep and so, so i just started to get exposed to where it's like oh sublime and it's like oh they got sublime is it like a punk song like oh that's kind of you know interesting and then um watching a movie like pump up the volume um with christian slater they yeah. had a descendant they had a descendant song in there and i was like wow what is that like that's kind of cool so i think the, the thing that I love about obviously youth and getting into music is that you're, you're devoid of context. You have no idea. You just like what you like. And I think that's, what's magical about it. So that's really how I started to trip across it. And then just basically kept going down the rabbit hole. Like we all do where it's like, Oh, I'm looking for something harder. I'm looking for something more interesting. And then, you know, uh, I think it was when I was 15 is when I started to really discover what victory records was, um, yeah. what, you know, the Southern California hardcore scene was. And I was like, Oh, so like this is straight edge. Like I started calling myself straight edge when I was 15 and then I became vegetarian when I was 16. Um, and so that, th- at that point, it's like, you know, you're a freshman and sophomore in high school and that's your, that is your identity. That is who you are sure. and everyone else knows about it. You joke around about the idea of xing up to work. Uh, you know, I X'd up to high school for the first, you know, two years of high school where it's like, and I went to like a, a small Lutheran High School, like no one, no one really was uh, understanding, or not understanding, but no one, no one needed to know that for that long. Like, (laughs) if I did it one day, people would have been like, "Yo, okay, I get it. You're straight edge. That's fine." Now,
0: now, (laughs) your desire to do this. Were there other friends of yours that were xing up alongside you, or did you just like? Were you just like, "Well, Earth Crisis is like telling me to do this," and then all over America everyone else kids like me are xing up so i have to do this as like part of this sort of like like straight edge you know right. movement is that what you felt <laughs> No, I did not feel it at all. I, I was
1: really, and this is what I like to call kid logic, where, uh, you know, I, of course, when you would go to a show in your straight edge, you wear two X's on your hands, obviously one on each hand. For school, I was a little more subdued. I had an X only on one hand. So that was my like less formal straight edge. You know, I'm just showing up to my daily life. I, I got to wear one X at least. But, you know, no one else really in my high school, like there was maybe uh, One other person who kind of knew what it was, and um, I mean, two of my bandmates in Taken uh, were, you know, some of my close friends, they... Uh, one of them, our drummer Troy, he was—he uh, was just a metal dude, uh, and we happened to play basketball together. And like that's how kind of Taken formed, where we had time in between the end of high school and when basketball practice starts. <laughs> and so we just went to his house right. and kind of d- dicked around. Um, but no one. And then the kid who plays ba- the kid who played bass in Taken, who plays bass in Circus Survive now, Nick. He, um, you know, he was just kind of just hanging around. You know, I went to junior high with him, and he was my first friend there. And, but there wasn't anybody that like, uh, you know, I'm making myself sound like, oh, I was like this trailblazer and exposing everybody. I'm not trying to say that, but I was basically the person that was like my passion for this stuff just kind of bled over to everyone else. And it was like, oh, they got the fact that like, this is what aggressive, cool music sounds like. And so that's why my friends started to kind of, you know, follow along, not in the same sense that they were like xing up or anything like that, or really went to the extremes that I did, but they were, they got it and they would come to shows with me and they would understand it. It. but um I think part of that sort of you know you mentioning the community and me understanding what that meant in that context I didn't at all I, yeah. I I I primarily was just like oh I'm just I just like to do this and this is who I am
0: yeah it's so interesting though you know you bring up basketball I mean Playing basketball in high school, which I actually actually did as well that 's a very like mainstream you know thing to do you know and and you talk yeah. about the classic like oh, the jocks against the punks and the nerds, and you know there's like these different groups like that it's like out of a movie, and I know obviously I understand real life isn 't like that, but I mean xing up when no one understands what that is, you know how ruthless kids can be like were you at all bullied did people like people must have said things to you? Um, you know, and like, what did, how did you handle that? Yeah, I didn't.
1: Honestly, I didn't have an overwhelming experience of um, people, you know, k- giving me the side eye. Um, I definitely had people that I knew who didn't like me because of you know my beliefs or whatever. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll regale you with a uh, story of youthful stupidity and ignorance. So this was, you know, sophomore year of high school. I, you know, get invited to a party, um, and it was one of those things where it was one of those parties where you show up and you realize that the parents have completely endorsed and condoned drinking, and all the oh, kids yeah. are going to spend. Yeah, the kids are going to spend the night there and blah, blah, blah. Um, I didn't really know that obviously that was a thing. So I show up there and I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is so messed up that a parent like I, I got it on the sort of like Let's protect kids, sort of thing. But I just, it just made no sense to me because, like, here are all these people that would be, you know, debaucherous and drinking. And then obviously on Sunday mornings, they would go to church and be like, yo, big man, like, we cool? We cool? Like, I did all that (laughs) stuff last night, but we cool, right? And I just, all these things kind of swirled in my head that night. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I am going to ruin everybody's party. And so I totally peed in the punch. I did the whole, like, I, you know, took a a plastic (laughs) cup. way. Oh, dude. Totally. And again, I, I don't endorse it. It was a stupid, stupid thing of me to do. Cause like, it's essentially forcing my beliefs. Um, it just didn't, uh, anyways, but so after that fact, I knew that obviously a lot of people, uh, people that were at the party were just like, Hey, fuck this guy. Like he is stupid. He is forcing our beliefs. And I was like, I got that, but I didn't How have you when this th- happened. Oh, I was f- 15 or 16. Wow. So it was my sophomore year. So yeah, I should, again, I should have known better. But at the same time, I just was so disgusted by the uh, endorsement of this behavior. Not so much the fact that kids were drinking. I got it. Kids drink. Like, I I don't, but I get it. But the fact that this parent, like, co-signed it, and I was like, oh, come on, man. This is just, I just, yeah, it totally pushed me past the point. But like I said, fortunately, once people kind of understood where it was that I was coming from, um, either forcefully or unforcefully, um, it, they generally speaking kind of left me alone, it, yeah. partially just be, partially just because frankly, I I'm a, a really nice person. Like I, I obviously have a, a I guess good demeanor about me. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not mean. Um, I'm not aggressive from that perspective. So I think people kind of were just like, all right, he's harmless as long as he's not directly, you know, Peeing in her punch anymore, which to be (laughs) to be clear, I did not do either that in my life.
0: Either that or people were just fucking terrified of you. That that (laughs) kid is a sociopath. Stay away (laughs) from him.
1: Absolutely, totally. It's like this. Yeah, not only is this guy never getting invited to parties ever, but we need to keep both eyes on him at all
0: times because he could snap. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what a story. Um, Okay, so (laughs) jumping ahead. So you're, um, obviously, you're into Victory Records. You're into. Straight Edge, you're a vegetarian. Um, how old were you when Taken formed? How did that How did that come about? Because I, I understand that Taken was basically your first band. Yeah, well, take, the Taken was not the first band. Uh, Doom Society,
1: which uh, has uh, I'm so sad that I don't have actually any of the MP3s. But basically, it was myself and two members from Taken, uh, and then two Doomed other Society. Oh, Doom Society, which we – oh, totally. We ripped off from – there's an amazing Minneapolis uh, record label called Havoc, uh, and they put out this band called Code 13, uh, just like a total – not Liberty Spikes punk, but, you know, very sort of gutter punk stuff. Love that band. They had a song called Doom Society. We were like, yo, we are living in a Doom Society, so that is our name.
0: (laughs) So. it's such a hard yeah. life in Southern California, and uh, oh, <laughs> I'm dude, the middle class sure.
1: family. Exactly, man. You got to worry about nuclear war and all that shit. I love it. <laughs> so, so that was our that was my first band, and that was the first time where I really, you know, was basically just screaming into a microphone because everybody else around me played an instrument, and I know like every story that you almost get to in your podcast. Everyone's like, oh, I didn't know how to do this, so I just picked it up and did it. Same thing for me. I had no idea what I was doing. didn't have any, you know, sort of scream training or anything from that perspective. So, um, I just dove in. So doom society, we existed, uh, gosh, I don't know, maybe a year or something like that, but that was the first time we actually played, you know, I played shows. I played at chain reaction before it was called chain reaction, which when it was called public storage, um, and so that was my first experience of kind of like, oh, so here we're playing a show in front of people that just don't care about what we're doing. And I'm like, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it's So basically at that point, uh, since I like I said, it was two of the members that ended up playing and taken. I was kind of, you know, we kind of were in this weird stew of like. Sort of punk, sort of hardcore, but then we kind of pushed uh, pushed the other two guys out just based on the fact that it's like I wanted to be more you know aggressive as far as the music sort of music was concerned, and they didn't you know they just wanted to kind of live in the the punk world that they did. So I was like, but I want to sound like Snapcase and Unbroken. You guys don't want to sound like that. Um, Sure. And so that's, that's kind of how taken form is, was me, uh, Nick, he wasn't our original bass player. We had one other dude who filled in for our very first show. And then after that, it was just like, cause he played guitar. So we were like, oh yeah, we just need, you know, we, we don't need you right now, Nick. Cause the other two dudes that we found that played in taken, we found off a, a flyer at a record store where I posted them around, you know? record stores and obviously people pulled off the number and called me and we had like you know we had like six or seven weird rehearsals um that obviously didn't end up leading anywhere but you know met a lot of people who were just like oh so you guys are like young it's like yeah we're not you know looking to rip off striper or whatever you're
0: whatever you're trying to do (laughs) yeah
1: so that's that's essentially so and that was around i want to say it was 97 when that started when basically taken started to form and we started to play
0: out and stuff like that you know, you said that uh, um, Troy uh, mm-hmm. was a metal dude. Yes. Um, and obviously, like when I listen to the the Taken stuff, especially mm-hmm. the early stuff, Troy is, I mean, he's pretty amazing.
1: He is still to this day. I mean, he's one of the most musically talented people I've ever met. And just the sheer luck. That I had to run across him and to be able to, because like he wrote, not only was he an incredible drummer and his talents, because like he was the type of dude where it's just like he would lock himself in his room and just, you know, for four hours straight, just be like, yo, I'm gonna bang away at the drums and not because. Not because he had this like uh, grandiose plan to be like, oh, I can't wait to be a rock star. Like he was, he was like, yeah, I just want to teach drums. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so yeah. But no, I, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I, I agree that I mean his his fingerprints are all over our earlier material because of just his talent and then his writing ability. And he wrote so much of our stuff in the early years. And honestly, he's written a decent amount of stuff um, ever since he kind of came back in the band.
0: I really think his drumming is what gave Taken that kind of signature sound um, uh, you know as a foundation you know as like a, I guess coming from a metal dude but obviously the rest of the music too and your vocals and everything formed this sound that like in my opinion I hadn't really heard before quite in that way to where it was sort of experimental um, but and and also sort of heavy but then like when I listened to it the other day, there's so many elements of Southern California, like, you know, skate punk, and also oh, yeah. elements of, of you know, like, Revelation Records, like, Emo, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it was amazing you guys were able to take all these, these pieces of music and put them together uh, and form this kind of unique sound which became so influential. I'm just trying to understand if you guys had talked about that, trying to bridge <sighs> these things, or if it was just that you listened to so many bands... And you were into so much stuff, you were just like, how can we just pile all this in because we love everything?
1: totally i I would say it's the the latter rather than the former we definitely our original like our our very first demo which you can hear because for whatever stupid reason we decided to put it on a a b-sides discography that we pulled together but (laughs) our our demo you can hear is basically just like us trying to rip off like i said Snapcase and unbroken it's like a lot of pinch harmonics and you know stuff that that basically the mid-90s bands did and we just wanted to continue um it, the ep was just like basically just this like you said this weird amalgamation of just us like creating this this riff salad of just like all right here's the end of this riff now let's put another riff on top of it right, like we had right, no sure yeah we had no songwriting capabilities we had no idea what we were doing so it just happened to be that we all liked this wide variety of stuff from like oh our original guitarist like he really liked braid and so like some of his playing was sort of influenced by that and then our guitarist Chad was super into shy Hulud, so that's where some of the melody would come in yeah makes um, sense and so yeah, it was it, it was definitely just a mixture of influences, and partially too because we didn't fit into the Southern California hardcore scene. Um, not to be like this oh woe is me like sort of idea, but we just didn't fit in. Oh, no, you, know, you because guys were it, not
0: you guys were not 18 Visions, you know. No, that was or bleeding through or whatever you know was was big at that time. So- you guys were definitely on the other end of the spectrum.
1: Totally. And to be honest, we liked that. We liked being the sort of odd band out. We definitely liked being um, a band that people obviously had to spend time with um, intentionally or unintentionally. It's not like we sat down and we like, all right, we got to make our stuff really challenging and not sound like the rest of the bands in our area because that, you know, we're not that smart. <laughs> but we were we definitely prided ourselves in the fact that it's like, OK, we got this different ish thing going on that we can play with these bands and exist in the same scene. But offer up a different set of uh, you know songs, a different a different interaction of what it would be like to be at a hardcore show. So it was definitely uh, you know it, like I said unintentional, but totally as we started to settle into it, we were like, oh yeah, like this is our spot and this is where right. we we feel most comfortable.
0: So once you guys kind of got you know your shit together and you started realizing, hey, Troy's a really good drummer and we can all play. Uh, and you guys started, you know, recording demos and and playing shows and everything. Um, did you guys try to get signed to like Victory or or Equal Vision or any of those labels? Because um, obviously, getting signed to Goodfellow out of Canada is kind of random.
1: Oh, it's su- it's super random. I mean, the it, the it just goes to show the naivete of what I knew about the music industry, which was absolutely nothing. All I did was, I when we put out our crayon 7-inch that you mentioned earlier, all I did was just mail those around to record labels, you know? Like, apropos of nothing, just like, here's this random 7-inch that's showing up in your inbox, um, which, you know... Uh, wasn't wasn't too outside of the realm of obviously what still happens today except people are sending you know Bandcamp camp links to info at com yeah, yeah but but the uh that's what we did so it's like you know i sent it to victory equal vision whoever else was interested um and it never uh, you know basically no one wrote back understandably so because it was just like who the fuck is this like i don't this is this is just going in a pile of mail i'll get this when i get to it and you know we had no reason to think that that seven inch was going to get us signed so the fact that we sent it to goodfell and partially just because i was always obsessed with southern ontario in regards to the music scene that you guys created up there um, you mean
0: with with what bands like chokehold and
1: oh yeah everything from i mean i i I go deep yeah acrid um left for dead yeah all of that stuff i just was so new day rising all of that stuff that started to happen in the mid to late 90s i was obsessed with because i was just like i i love the regionality of music where it's like you have all these bands that don't sound anything alike but they're all from the same area and it's just so uh it's so meaningful to me um and i, I just love that fact so like that was really the only reason that Goodfellow was on on my radar at all was the fact that he was putting out cool records uh you know he's putting out acacia records that i was super into and i was <laughs> like oh Kasia, what
0: a band yeah
1: oh for sure so i emailed uh, you know not emailed i mailed him the seven inch and then it was like it was such a I, I totally remember the first email that chris logan sent to me where it was you know first of all i was freaked out because i was like it's chris logan from fucking chokehold emailing me this is goddamn weird so then he uh he basically goes to say like i don't know why i listened to this seven inch you know i get a lot of mail i get a lot of people interested in working with goodfellow um but i just listened to the seven inch and he was just like i just did not know what to do with it he's like i couldn't stop listening to it he's a like, you know this was like maybe four months after we had sent it out. So like by this time our ship had quote unquote sailed in regards to like, Oh, well I guess I'll just put out our, you know, whatever our next recording is on my own. Um, right. But yeah, like I said, it was basically gone and the ship had sailed. So he emailed me out of the blue. And then at that point I was just like, whatever it takes to work with you, dude, I don't care. Like, let's do this. So that's how, yeah. So we, I mean, we would of course love to have interest from other labels. Like if revelation was interested or anything else at the time, but I mean, Honestly, I'm glad we didn't because, uh, frankly, we weren't ready. Like, there's no way that we would have been ready for a a larger stage from that perspective. um, Because I just don't think anyone would have known what to do with us. And like, being able to grow as we did with Goodfellow, as they started to grow as well, was just a a perfect a perfect scenario.
0: Right. Well, well. I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead. You know, and skip the whole meteor career. No, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, But but when you guys decided to call it, um, what was the reason for calling it? Did you did you think you had nothing left in the tank? Was it just that people had other interests? Because you know, nowadays, like I mean, you're you're not a professional musician, but you are a professional in you know in the entertainment industry. Uh, you know, you mentioned your your bass player is in Circus Survive. You know, so you guys obviously had some aspirations to do this uh, long term. So, kind of, how, how did that fade away, and what were the reasons?
1: The um- so it was kind of well the the biggest reason was the fact that uh you know kind of the real world started to crash down on a few members um, where one of our guitarists that played with us basically through the last two two and a half years of the band uh, his name's Eric and he still plays with us now he basically I knew touring wasn't for him he didn't enjoy touring per se because um, yeah. obviously it's not it's not cut out for everybody so uh, we kind of saw that writing on the wall where Eric is just not going to want to tour anymore so he basically sat us down at the end of one practice and he quit. And then, uh, our other guitarist, Chad, who was basically, um, our, one of our original members, it was myself, Nick and Chad, who were the, you know, people who got it together at the beginning. Cause by that time we had lost a guitarist, um, and our original drummer, Troy. Mm-hmm. And so then Chad sat us down at the same practice. And he was like, like we were literally leaving from when the time Eric quit. And then Chad was like, actually, hold on guys. And we were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, really? So, he and he basically his his reason was that you know he just wanted to focus on school. Um, You know, honestly, I'm not going to put words in his mouth at this point because I really don't. Uh, but I think that was his main reason when he sat us down. It's right. like I you right. know I just can't sustain the sort of touring that we're doing and real life and whatever. So I mean, to me, it sucks partially just because I felt like we were you know we had captured momentum. Like there was label interest. Uh, we were going to sign with the Militia Group. You remember that label? That I was do. out of, of, course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and we were we were stoked on that because we were a band that didn't sound like any other band label with the exception of that band the beautiful mistake um but you know they had copeland and rufio and we we're like yo we don't make any sense with these bands but dude we really love the guys putting out the records so and they like us so let's do this
0: i think militia um, group was even owned partly by a major at that point too they well
1: this was 2004 2003 so that was pre-major oh, okay. but but no Maybe you're, not you're yet, to- yeah no totally like in a year or two they totally were i think sony had some ownership yep. in them but uh so yeah, we, we had, I had felt like we were going to do that. Um, we were you know, primed to tour. Uh, there was you know a European tour on the horizon, roughly. Uh, we were going to go to Japan for the first time. Um, so it just sucked, because basically it took the air out of those tires. And then at that point, you know, I just sat down with Nick, and we kind of had a heart-to-heart, where it's like, we always said that if we lost another original member, that we just didn't really feel like we could continue this on. Even though I was totally just like, all right, let's rally the troops. I know who can play guitar for us, which was going yeah. to be... Jeremy from Touche Amore, he was going to play guitar for us at the t- <laughs> Wow, that's um, that's wild. I know, it was really fun. I mean, because he had toured with us and he was like, you know, one of our closest friends. And so we he played guitar and was like, oh, perfect fit. Um but uh but yeah, so then Nick and I were just like, uh, yeah, I, I think we just need to wrap this up and we had that final EP that we released, yeah. um, between two unseen. We had that already written. So we kind of were just like, All right, let's use this as our sort of, you know, swan song way to end things. Um but yeah, so that was kind of that uh from that perspective. But it was weird because we did have like, you know, Equal Vision flew out to see us play a show. Uh they saw us and they didn't want to sign us after that, which I was like, oh cool. Thanks, Dan. Sorry. Oh, I guess Dan, we I guess we sucked. <laughs> it's okay. I get it. He was nice and that was uh it was totally fine. But uh yeah, I mean it was like Ferret was interested. So it's like we we felt like we had momentum. But at the yeah. same time it was just like, well I, I get it. I get that people are running at the end of their uh you know rope because I, I just always was fortunate that I built my life around the band i had had a job that allowed me to tour and everything else so um not everybody else had that luxury so like i couldn't i couldn't not understand where they were coming from you know no, no. i was just like mm, i totally get
0: that and i mean and i mean fast forward a couple of years like you know you had makoto um you know which had a little bit of success for a while a little bit of hype um that kind of faded away um i guess you know nick obviously went on with circus revive and that that became he did great yeah yeah, he's doing all right yeah he's doing Um, all right he he writes he he writes musician on
1: his uh passport so that's it yeah that's that's when you've made it
0: (laughs) is that the sign is that is that when you know it's going well Um, i think so yeah (laughs) i like that uh but but it's funny now because you know you talk about your legacy with taken and the influence you've had on on bands you know like counterparts like i mentioned uh and and a, a myriad of others and um At the time, did you have any idea that that was going to happen? And now, like you know, you guys have done a lot of reunion shows. You guys, you guys have stuff in the works now, even, don't you?
1: Yeah, totally. Basically, once we did, we started. We played a reunion show in two thousand eight, and partially just because we got an offer to um, tour Japan, um, and that was partially on the back of Makoto going over there for a few years in a row. Um, And I just I witnessed the uh, the fervent. Passion that people had for Taken, like it was so goddamn weird for me to go over there with Makoto and have people be like, "Hey, I like Makoto, but fucking Taken, Jesus right. Christ!" It was like I, I just didn't know what to do with it. You know, it was weird where it's like you walk into a club and they're playing Taken, and I'm like, "Okay, it's a little on the nose, guys," but like that was their sign of showing respect. It was just I'd never felt or witnessed anything like that before so that was kind of the you know the reason why we did those shows in 2008 and then basically it was just like all right then we'll do another show in 2010 because we again got an offer to go to Japan and it was all cool. of, all of it, all of it stemmed from basically going to japan multiple times in a row um and so then i I was i I think it was after the 2010 time where we were just like like there doesn't need to be this definitive you know as in every band at this point there doesn't need to be a nail in the coffin like we like each other we like to create music so like all right like let's i guess do it this time um but never putting any pressure on it so that basically leaves us where we're at now where we if we get asked to play a show we play a show and we you know as long as it makes sense we're just like you know we're not looking to make money off the thing it's just like hey can you cover expenses like cool that's fine we need one plane flight
0: thanks (laughs) I mean that's that's great and that's a nice a nice thing to have kind of just as supplement in your life um, as an outlet for you to you know not only express yourself musically but also um, you know kind of live in that you know we talked about nostalgia and we talked about that stuff which is it's nice you know it it doesn't need to be uh, uh, looking back in the past with with some kind of like sadness it can be just for fun.
1: It, it, it can, but the, uh, you know, to that point, it's kind of, it's really interesting because like most of the shows that we've played over the past two years have been to no one that gives a shit about us. Like, you know, we open for a Atreyu or Seusson, whatever. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I don't care like that's fine. To me what makes it meaningful is the fact that I can I as a you know mid 30s person and you can say the same thing Shane where we can get up there and identify like play and identify with a 14 to 18 year old kid. They can watch us and still you know not only derive some meaning but have some sort of reaction and be like yo i get this and to me it just you know it blows my mind because i mean on one hand obviously you know silverstein you guys have been active and you're in front of people all the time and that's a cool thing you know for me it's even more of a disconnect where it's like hey we've taken plays this show You, you know and people come up to me at the merch and are just like hey so do you guys have any cds out and i'm just like I, I don't even know where to begin with you, man. Like I, you know, not even from like, oh, where have you been dumb, dumb, but like a uh, dude, <laughs> I can't believe that you like this shit. Like this is right. unreal that you are a younger person and you find value out of it is what, what we're doing. And so to me, that kind of gives the, um, the the appeal to it now not so much this fact that it's like oh we could be weekend warriors and do this shit and you know play a show here and there but it's just like well if there's still a small pocket of people that care about what we do like mm-hmm. you know when when we put out a new EP next year we are going to be in your area Shane we are going to play a show because we know that that show is going to be super fun and the people will come out of the woodworks for it and we're going to play one show in Southern California and then we're going to tour Japan we're never oh, yeah. going to and that's and that's the idea it's like we want to yeah. do we want to be in front of people who are appreciative because we're not making this we're not trying to convince anybody to like us at this point you know we're not, we're not we're not we're not we're not trying to uh you know sit on Silverstein's corner to be like hey guys can we get some of your runoff can we go ahead and
0: have some of your fans it's like no that's exactly there's plenty no, of other, I, there's, there's I plenty totally, of other bands to do that I totally get that but do you have any desire to like play music again like start a new band i mean has anyone you know you obviously you talk to these people in the music industry like on a weekly basis has mm-hmm. anybody ever been like hey ray do you want to like sing for this new project i'm starting do you have any desire <laughs> to do that no i have no desire to do that i mean i uh that obviously w-
1: where is where kind of taken lies like i've done a little yeah. you know side projects here and there um and me like uh, almost every other person that has uh, picked up a microphone within the context of uh, hardcore uh, has been asked to sing for Shia Lute at some point so i tried that I tried, <laughs> I, tried, I tried i tried that out for a moment and then realized no i can't i can't sing mm. 750 words in like one sentence um i just wasn't cut out for that so i just realized that it's like yeah i, I uh, the it the creative itch that most people have obviously once they stop playing music um for me has always just been a form of expression and obviously the context of the podcast completely does it um everything else i do from a sort of creative endeavor uh does it same thing in the context with with taken where it's just like hey i i can still pen lyrics and have this all ready for when we do have our songs together um cool. so no so, yeah. that's
0: that's great no i mean that's that sounds like a great kind of, um, it sounds like your life has a lot of different facets to it. You know, like, like I know you're, you've always been involved in a lot of different things. Um, yeah. you know, and I think that that's, I think that's cool. And, and you're a well, well-rounded person and, uh. And it's lovely to have you uh, have you on my podcast. I do want to ask you about the pod, your podcast, which everybody should check out if they don't already, if they're not already subscribed. It's called One Hundred Words or Less with Ray Harkins, and um, you've been doing it for four years now. Are you still feeling it? Are there weeks where you're like, oh god, I have to put up another episode? Do um, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Does it ever get tiring? Or are you still stoked on it? And do you still feel like you're providing just like so many so much great information and content for people.
1: Yeah, it's uh I mean a simple answer is yes. I still feel uh very passionate about it just the fact that it's like You know, now uh, obviously watching different iterations, like, you know, watching you start a podcast is amazing. Like, it brings me such joy because of the fact that it's like, obviously, you and I know each other. We've been friends for years, and I know – and I – there's never – it's not that weird, uh, like I was alluding to earlier, the weird sense of competition that obviously I know exists within bands. I look at what you're doing, and I'm like – it's Awesome. Because the more people that pay attention to you and the medium in general, then maybe they'll listen to my show. And that's exciting. And same thing, same thing with Damien and every, every single one of yeah. our friends that is doing this. It's a very exciting thing. So to me, that's fulfilling on one level. And then on the other level is the fact that the people that I have on the show, they like, they genuinely look forward to it because, you know, it's the same experience that you have where they're just like, oh, I can actually just like talk and not be a soundbite. I can actually like express complicated thoughts devoid of being interrupted and it's like that that is the most valuable thing for anybody that's either involved in a press cycle or not involved in a press cycle is just able to uh you know work out whatever thoughts that they're having um in
0: the context that's that's more comfortable than i like i said just a 10-minute interview absolutely well that's why I love podcasts. And I mean, before I started lead singer syndrome, I was on, I was a guest on your show and I, and it's funny, I did look forward to it and I was excited to be a part of it. And I was excited to, to kind of tell my story, uh, you know, and, and, and give it to people, um, you know, full on rather than, yeah, soundbite, like you say, or like where you talk to somebody for 30 minutes and then they literally write two paragraphs about right. your magazine. Totally. You know? Um, take and take something you said completely out of context, and you know, so it, that's that is a really nice thing that you're able to do this, you know, largely unedited. Um, mm-hmm. but it is interesting you you bring up the thing about competition, and and I don't feel I don't feel competition. I feel more camaraderie with like you and and Damien. And I feel like you guys are obviously quite a bit ahead of me, um, in terms of not just your shows being being on longer, but your talent, um of you know, talking to people, which I'm getting I think I'm getting better and better at. But it is funny, like last week uh we both had Corey from Norma Jean <laughs> totally. on the show.
1: <laughs> we totally did.
0: <laughs> and I well, just that, about can, I should have when I saw that, I was like, but, "Well, uh, I'm editing my Corey podcast. I'm almost done, and I'll check my Instagram feed. And fuck! Oh shit!
1: Yeah, no. I, I mean, you could you can specifically blame that on the publicist because uh, he was obviously going around and pitching it to uh, to podcasts from that perspective. But um, yeah, I know. I totally agree with you. I, I think it's just one of those things that, uh, like I said, is sort of high tide raises all ships, where it's like the more. Yeah. The more content that we have out there in regards to this discussion around independent music, the more... The more people obviously have choices and can consume whatever it is that they want um, and find meaning out of it is, is better because at the end of the day um, the I mean you know I mean fortunately I'm at a point now where it's like you know, I'm actually making money off this thing which is so weird for me to even say but even removing the financial benefit of me do, continuing to do this show it's the fact that again it still feels like a valid point of discussion and people want to be on the show you know I get hit up by publicists and other band, like people who don't want to do this sort of stuff it's like you know whatever Davey havoc isn't clamoring to be on a podcast but he was like hey ray like that'd be fun to do it with you and i'm like fuck yeah that'd be fun to do it with you i want you to talk about how being straight edge is like the best thing in your life like that's hilarious because you don't talk about that to anybody <laughs> right. so those those are the benefits in which people can obviously find in our medium and more specifically our shows because yeah it's just a. Uh, I don't know. It's just to me, it's the podcasting is the same exact thing as playing in a band. You're just putting, I mean, obviously you're putting out more content on a weekly basis, you know, but it's the same yep. idea where it's just like, you know, you, Shane, the moment you're done recording this, you're editing this. You're, you're, you're making sure that it, you know everything sounds appropriate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Same yeah. thing that I'm doing. It's like we're putting all our hands over all of this stuff and you having the hate line, you having everything that you do with the show is all born out of your brain and that is a very meaningful thing and it shows that you care about it. Um, and I think that as long as People don't get lazy with it. And the people that do get lazy with it, they quit in like a week anyways, you know, and that's right. fine, but you just got to stick with it. And that's what, that's why I think is so, yeah, like you're, you're alluding to earlier where it's just the camaraderie. It's like, yo, the people basically do something for a year. If after you've done it for a year and you have some sense of enjoyment out of it, keep doing it. You know, if sure. you've done it for a year and you're like, all right, no one's paying attention. No one's listening. And I don't even enjoy it. And it's like, then fine. Just give it up. No one's, no one's going to care. <laughs>
0: No, man, that's <laughs> all right. No, I feel I feel great about about where this show's going, and uh, yeah, God. I mean, I have to admit, you, you know, your your show is a big inspiration for my show. So uh, thank you for everything that you do on your podcast. And again, everybody listening to this, make sure you check out Ray's show and go back and listen to my episode. I, I know yeah. a couple <laughs> other members of Silverstein on there as well. So.
1: I've almost collected every, the, you, it's between you guys and La Dispute. I've actually almost collected, well, actually you guys, La Dispute and Thrice. Those are the three bands I have on my uh, radar in regards to like, all right, I think I need to interview every single member. So <laughs>
0: you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> well, you got to get, you got to get Josh on there. Cause he's the, like the definitely the he funniest is. of
1: all of us. He is. Yeah. You, you guys are all terrible guests. He'll basically be the best one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thanks Shane. I honestly really appreciate it. It was, uh, it was fun, fun for me to chop it up on the other side
0: absolutely well hey ray thank you so much for your time all the best with everything going on uh man i really hope i can see that taken show when is that is that is that, is that a, has that happening is that announced What's no going on? Th- that's
1: literally that well the the taken show in canada has not been announced that's like my, we're probably we're still in the planning stages because we have to get recording done and all that other stuff first um and then once we have a release date then we're going to start planning that stuff so yeah that'll,
0: i'm home for that Jesus.
1: yeah well uh, yeah i honestly i'm theorizing it'll be in March or April. That's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at as of right now. Um, that but could be we'll, good we'll see for we'll, me. That could be good for yeah, me. That could be <laughs> 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 good. That could be good. Uh, yeah, we don't hey, have I'm in the taken
0: DVD. Apparently I'm like, I'm behind the drums in, uh, huh. In the taken DVD, uh, I, so I would I would not be surprised. the
1: the amount of people that you can obviously see from the uh, the southern Ontario music scene are just like it's hilarious. Like the, whatever the, the photo I posted not too long ago on my yeah. Instagram of everyone, I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's so it makes me so happy because everyone's tagging each other in there. I'm just like, oh, that's so great, I love I'll it. I'll
0: definitely repost that photo on on Lee Singerson's <laughs> Instagram too, so people can see some of the who's who's of the totally. southern Ontario scene with uh, Ray Hartman screaming his right, guts a out,
1: shirt, a shirtless
0: Dallas Green. It's like the you shirtless can't, Dallas Green's <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So
1: good. Well, thank you, Shane. I really appreciate it. Thank
0: you, Ray. You have a great day, man. You too, man. Cheers. So there it is, my talk with Ray. Just a great dude. He uses lots of big words. I hope you had a dictionary handy. I'm just fucking with you. But it is really good to catch up with him, do some reminiscing, but also talk a little bit about the future. And man, I am excited for another Take It show. What a band. Make sure you check them out. And of course, don't forget to check out Ray's podcast, 100 Words or Less. It's on Apple, it's on Stitcher, it's on whatever the hell you listen to this show on. His show's on there, too. Next week, we'll be back on Monday, as always, with another episode. I don't know if it will be the big guest that flaked on me or not. Uh, We will get an episode with him, I'm sure. But make sure you're subscribed, and we'll see you next week. I will leave you with a Taken classic. This is the first Taken song I ever heard. The first track on their EP, Finding Solace in Dissension. Here it is, Drowning in Numbers on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. <laughs>